I love, I love that song. And I love the truth of the fact that, uh, I love the truth of the fact that when we call, he answers. That when we, when we, you're still buzzy. I love the fact that when we call on the name of Jesus Christ, that he answers and immediately rescues us out of our mess and out of our shame and out of our turmoil and makes us new again. That is the truth of the application of the gospel. And the gospel is um, that, that word, gospel. It is uh, the embodiment of the story of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, and the fact that it, his work didn't end at the cross, but extended beyond the grave. Uh, that he actually came back, that he defeated death, proving that he was more than just some guy and giving us true faith, something we actually can rely on, something that actually does change us, not just for this life, but for eternity. But I recognize that the reality is that, um, <laughs> uh, that if, you're new, um, if you're new to Christianity, like if you're just kind of bumping into this person named Jesus for the first time, when we start talking about people coming back from the grave, um, that gets a little weird to you. Right, we, haven't, we haven't mentioned that today is uh, April Fool's Day. This is, the first, um, this is the first greenhouse I think we've had on April Fool's, which makes me a little nervous because you people are kind of nuts, especially you people right there. All right? So that made me a little bit nervous about having a greenhouse on April Fool's, like, you're just going to do something stupid. But um, luckily, nobody's done anything dumb yet. But uh, April Fool's is a weird tradition. Like, it's not a holiday, I don't think. If it is, it shouldn't be. Um, but it's a, it's a weird tradition. It's like the one day where you can't trust anybody alive, right? Like uh, Samantha Wilkerson, wherever she is, posted something last night like, I ain't believing nothing you people say tomorrow on social media. Like, well, that's, was that you? It was Shelby. Wherever you went. You don't even pay attention. Good. All right. Cool. Um, April Fool's. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, a weird, it's a weird deal. We're, we're like, uh, you just get to like prank whoever you want and just yell April Fool's afterwards and it's supposed to be like all be forgiven, right? It's super fun if you're the one pranking people. It's less fun if you're the one being pranked, right? It's not quite as, it's not quite as fun. Like, like watch, watch this. Watch this. April Fool's, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think there's sound. There. Yeah. Oh, ooh. <laughs> that guy's not having fun. He's not having fun. Oh, this guy, this guy.
It's impressive. fun to be pranked than it is to actually be the one pranking, right? It's a whole lot of fun to prank somebody and then, then when it's, the ter- tables are turned on you and you're the one being deceived, it's not quite as much fun anymore. You know what I'm saying? I think sometimes when we, uh, the first time we bump into Christianity, we start hearing about the, the fullness of the, of the gospel message that, that so many of us in the room have placed our faith in, that we've trusted, that we've believed, that we trust our eternity to it. The first time we bump into that and we're like, we believe that a guy um, named Jesus lived 2,000 years ago and that he uh, was murdered or crucified for um, like inciting a revolution, basically. He was, he, was, uh, he was crucified for treason and then put in a tomb. And then three days later, we believe that he rose from the grave and appeared to hundreds of people. And then didn't like die again, just res- like resurrected straight to heaven, like ascended straight to heaven and to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. And I place my faith in the ascended, risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And you're like, hang on, go back to that part where that dude came back from the dead. <laughs> you know? You're like, I-, I don't really, really. You feel like you're being punked a little bit. And, and, and if that's you, if, if where you sit in the room, we're like, hey, that whole like Jesus come back from the grave thing, I, I'm not buying that. Maybe he's a great teacher. Maybe he was a nice guy, whatever. You, you people in here seem cool or whatever. But as far as it comes to like believing in the resurrected son of God, I'm not sure if I'm there yet. I don't know if I believe that. If that's you, I need you to know you're not alone. That almost all of us in the room have been there at one point or another. And not only us here, but the disciples, the 12 guys that like walked around with Jesus for three years, like those guys didn't believe it until they investigated enough and then everything changed for them. Once they dug in and kind of figured out the facts and and investigated it, they believed it and their lives changed because of that belief. So tonight what I want to do for us is to walk through the whole story of what happened that weekend, the weekend that changes everything for me. Beginning on, well really beginning on Thursday night and extending into Sunday night. So we're going to walk through the whole story together. We're actually covering the entirety of three chapters of John. All right, so we're beginning in John chapter 18. We're going to go all the way to the end of John chapter 20. I'm going to kind of story you through a lot of it, and then we're going to kind of zoom in on one specific part. But if, if you came in this room not really sure about whether this whole resurrection thing can be trusted or not, you're about to hear a story of a whole bunch of other people who didn't believe it either until they dug in. All right, so John chapter 18, I'm gonna keep giving you little references as I kind of story us through this, but I'm not gonna read much of it until we get over into John 20. But I just want you to kind of follow along with me. The headings in your Bible, they'll kind of help keep you on track about where we're at in the story, okay? So beginning in John chapter 18, verse one, it's, it's, it's 
they're ending the Lord's Supper. It's the last supper that Jesus shares with the disciples. And they, they go out of that place and they go to a, a garden up on this hillside. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Jesus and these, his 12 disciples, the 12 guys who are closest, well, 11, because one's off doing something else. Um, everybody but that guy. They all go up at the Garden of Gethsemane and they're, they're going up there to pray. And Jesus knows what's about to happen, and he's kind of tried to prepare his disciples for it, but they're a little slow, and they haven't caught on to it yet. So they all go up to this, this hillside garden together. And they've been up there praying for a little while. It's, it's, it's getting pretty late on Thursday night. And all of a sudden, in the distance, they can see some torches coming down. They don't have, like, street lamps. It's 2,000 years ago. So there's some people coming to the garden late at night, and that's kind of odd. As they get closer, it's, it's a kind of a big contingent of people, and they can, they can hear like the clanking of swords. They hear voices. As they approach, Jesus stands up, knowing that they're there for him. So there's a group of people that just could not stand Jesus. They were the religious leaders of the day. They're called Pharisees. They couldn't stand Jesus, and they had come to a point of decision where they decided Jesus had to die for what he was teaching so they got a bunch of soldier people together to come take, uh, take custody of him. And they had hired um, or paid one of Jesus' followers, a guy named Judas, to betray him. So they come up to the garden, and Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. He says, hey, the guy that I give a kiss on the cheek, he, that's the guy. And so he comes, he gives Jesus a kiss on the cheek, and they, take, they tie Jesus up and take him away. Peter, one of Jesus' uh, disciples, um, tries to fight back. Right? He was like the, the big bad macho of the group, right? And he pulls his sword and he ch- chops off this dude's ear. That guy, I mean, apparently that wouldn't work real well. Like, you're pretty bad with a sword. There's an entire torso to hit. You get a guy in the ear, right? Um, and so, so Jesus t- turns to Peter. He's like, what, what are you doing? This, is, this has to happen. This has to go down this way. I, I told you, I, I, I came to die. This is all part of the plan here, bro. And he, he like miraculously puts this guy's ear back on and then goes with the soldiers. But not everyone follows. Most of his disciples, they book out of there. They're gone. They do not appear in the rest of this story until Jesus is back from the grave. Like you don't see them again. They're gone. They hide. And so, so the, the, the uh, soldiers and everybody, they, they take Jesus and they, they, he's, he's bound. He's, they don't have handcuffs, but might as well. And they take him to a guy named Annas' house. Annas is the high priest. And, uh, and they, they take him there and two guys follow, two disciples, John and Peter. Peter's the guy with the sword. John, in the book of John, uh, it's almost like John doesn't think he's worthy enough of being mentioned by name. So all across the gospel of John, he writes uh, as he refers to himself as, as the disciple whom Jesus loved which is just cool. Like, he didn't think his name was, you know, that's, that's just awesome. Anyway, that's just for free. I just like that. So John and Peter, they, they follow along kind of at a distance, and, and it goes into Annas' house, and, and then they're going to question him in there. John apparently knows the high priest or somehow and knows kind of the servants, so John gets to go in. Peter's kind of waiting outside for a minute, and then John has to kind of pull some strings and get Peter to get to come inside with him. That's the kind of detail that John's putting in this story. Like, just kind of odd, like irrelevant details that, that if I'm just telling you a story that I'm making up, these kind of details don't fall into place for me, which is one of the things for me that stands as evidence that this actually happened. John's telling you every minute detail of what he can think about. He's like, hey, I knew the high priest and I knew the servant girl who stood at the door and guarded it. So I went in and then Peter had to stay outside because they didn't, he wasn't on the list or whatever. And so I came back outside, told the servant girl at the door, hey, he's with me. And then Peter got to come in with me. 
That's the kind of detail that's in this story. So everybody's, everybody's in there now, and, and kind of John and Peter are sort of kind of on the, um, kind of on the porch, sort of. I mean, just imagine it like that. And they're out there on the porch. And while they're out there, John overhears Peter talking with somebody. And they ask him, hey, are, are, are you one of his disciples? Are you, are you one of the guys that's been traveling around with him? And Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. So at this point in the story, we've got one guy, Peter, who just cut off somebody's ear and is now denying he even knows who Jesus is. And the other, we got one guy who's betrayed him altogether. And the rest of them, except for John, are gone. They're not even there. So if you came in the room not really sure about how much you're willing to trust this Jesus, none of them did either. They, they're, in, they're in the room. Jesus is bound. He's before Annas, the high priest. And, and they question him. And it's not really like questioning to get answers. It's really just to... It's really, hey, we got you. It's that kind of thing. And from there, they take him to another high priest. Uh, It's actually Annas' son-in-law, Caiaphas. Take him to Caiaphas' house. And from there, finally, they take him to the Roman governor of of Jerusalem. A guy named Pilate. He goes to Pilate's house. I'm not going to tell you every detail of the Pilate account. It's really, really cool. Uh, Mount Zion has two podcasts. One's for Greenhouse, one's for our Sunday morning services. This past Sunday, I did the whole Pilate story in really big detail. Seven times, Pilate's going between these people who are accusing Jesus and Jesus himself. Pilate figures out, hey, I don't think this guy's done anything wrong and tries to argue for Jesus' release. And basically a mob ensues and demands Jesus' life. So in John 19, 16, Pilate Pilate gives Jesus up to the Pharisees to be crucified, knowing full well he's done absolutely nothing wrong. And by the time he's done that, by the way, Peter's denied Jesus two more times, three times in total. Earlier that night at dinner, Jesus told Peter, hey, uh, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's out. Peter realizes that Jesus knew the weakness in his heart, the lack of faith that he had. And how that was going to play out, Peter doesn't stick around for the rest. So now it's just John. If you came in the room, not really sure if this was a story you can trust in, none of them did either. So Pilate turns him over in John nineteen sixteen, and they hand Jesus a cross. And Jesus picks up, he's, he's, he's been, by the way, uh, sorry, I, I skipped in the Pilate story. Um, at one point, Pilate is trying to, uh, he, tries, he tries three times to kind of push the whole thing under the rug. The first time he's like, just deal with it yourself. I don't want to fool with this. And they demand he'd, he'd do more. The second time he tries to release Jesus kind of like a, as a pardon sort of thing. And they say, no, we don't want you to do that. And the third time he's like, maybe if I just beat him up really bad, maybe that'll be good enough for them and they won't actually kill them. That wasn't good enough. So now we've got Jesus beat up almost to the point of death and they hand him this huge tree. Carry your cross. So they lay it on Jesus' back and he starts trying to drag the thing. They're, they're going up to a place called Golgotha. It's, it means the place of the skull. It's this weird, uh, like, little mound rock thing outside of Jerusalem that the dirt was so ba- like bad on that nothing would ever grow there. That's where they crucified people. And so Jesus can't carry the cross. Somebody else helps help him carry the cross. They get up to the hill, and they lay this cross on the ground. They lay Jesus on it, and they nail Jesus' wrist and foot to this cross. And they stand it up, and there's a, there's a hole bored down into the rock. And this cross stands up, and then it drops down into that hole in the ground. There's Jesus Christ, whom the Roman ruler has said has done nothing wrong, who has been healing people like 
<laughs> teaching truth and teaching grace and teaching hope, and then he's on a cross bleeding and knew he was going to go there. Knew that he came for that purpose, to get on that cross so that I wouldn't have to. He sacrificed himself up on that cross for my sin, for your sin. All your mistakes are nailed onto that cross along with him as he's paying for them for you. There's not, he's not up there by himself. There's two other criminals. They're on his right and on his left, and the three of them hang there together. He's, he's, he leaves Pilate's house about 6 a.m. This all happened overnight. So 6 a.m. Friday, they leave Pilate's house. They get up there probably around 11. By 3, Jesus looks down and he sees, uh, John only mentions him seeing John. It says that Jesus' mom and, and Jesus' mom's sister are sitting there and John's kind of nearby. And, he's, and he, he calls out to John from the cross and says, hey, John, my mom, I need you to take care of my mom. John says, okay, I got you. No one else is there. Like none, of his, none of his disciples are there. They're hiding. They don't trust that this guy, what he actually, that he's, what he said he was coming to do, they don't actually believe that that was real yet. At best, they think he was compelling or maybe a prophet or something, but at this point, I don't think they believed he was the son of God. So there's only, there's John. John, we take care of my mom? Yeah, I'll take care of your mom. Okay. And out loud, he says, it's finished. The work I've come to do here, the, the me paying for all of this, for all of, all of our sin, it's finished. And it says he breathed his last and died there. They take down the body and the people that are closest to him, except for John and his mom, they're, they're not there. So a guy named Joseph has to give him a tomb. And a guy named Nicodemus, who's actually a Pharisee, they really only had like one interaction that we know of. He has to bring all the spices and the embalming stuff because there's no one else to do it. Two guys that Jesus really isn't even that close to make sure he gets buried because no one else is there. And they put Jesus in this tomb. And the Romans are afraid that, that somebody's going to come steal the body and make it seem like, because uh, they, they heard that, hey, Jesus has been acting like he's going to come back from the grave. So they, they put this huge stone in the way, and they put a, a Roman seal on it, and they post a guard out front to make sure that there ain't no funny business. There ain't no April Fool's jokes happening out here in Jerusalem, okay? And so, so they, make, they do everything they can to ensure that this is going to be secure. It's Friday about 6, and Jesus is in the grave. Saturday, apparently the disciples kind of start finding each other and uh, start kind of clumping back up, trying to make sense of what's happened. They've devoted years of their life to this, and now it's over. It's gone. He's gone. Maybe they're talking about some of the things he said and trying to wrestle out and figure out if if this was actually what he meant was supposed to happen or was that allegory or like what was, what was going on. But we don't know what they're talking about, but we know they start kind of clumping up. Sunday morning when it's still dark, it's still dark Sunday morning, uh, Mary, she gets up and she's gonna go check out the tomb and she wants to make sure that they, they had to rush. They didn't get to really embalm Jesus correctly. So um, she's gonna go down there and, and they're, gonna try to, they're gonna try to do it right like actually buried Jesus for real instead of basically just put him in there for a time being. They wrapped him up and just left. 
Because Passover, so there's all these like rules and stuff guarding what you can and can't do with a dead body on Passover or whatever. So Sunday, it's all over with. She gets up, still dark outside, and goes down there to try to finish the work. And she gets there, and the tomb is open. That's weird. It should be like guards and stuff and big rocks. And there's not. So, in chapter 20, verse 1. That's where we are. Mary Magdalene, she runs down to the tomb. The tomb's still, the tomb's, uh, the, the stone's gone, the tomb's open. And so she, she doesn't go in, as I wouldn't either. I don't want to go wander around in tombs either. Creepy stuff's happening. And so she turns around and she books out of there and she goes and finds Peter and John again. She goes and finds Peter and John. She says, hey, hey the, the tomb's open. I, I don't know what's going on. I didn't look in, or I don't, but somebody's opened the tomb and I don't know if somebody's still on the body. I don't, I don't know what's happened. Can you come check it out with me? right? She goes and gets back up. And Peter and John, they take off running. And John once again goes into this hyper detail mode. It's a little bit, it's, this is just weird to me. This has always been weird to me that John included this. Basically he says, I outran Peter. I'm faster. Just put that in the Bible for fun. Like, so we start, we start booking it toward the tomb. I outran Peter because he's kind of chubby. And um, I got there first but it's a tomb and that's kind of weird. So I kind of poked my head in. I could see that there was like linen cloths laying around. I didn't see the body, but I didn't want to go in. And Peter's, Peter's always bullheaded. Remember, this is the guy that chopped people's ears off, right? Peter just, he gets there, you know, two minutes later, huffing and puffing, sweating mess, right? And he just like bulldozes straight in the room. He doesn't even care. I ain't stopping. So he plows right past John. John's standing at the tomb and John's like, okay, I guess we can go inside now. And so he comes too. There's that level of detail in the story about who runs faster than the other people, okay? When you're making up stories, you don't make up that kind of detail. So John gets there first, looks in, sees the linens. Peter, you know, like roly-polies into the room with him, right? And, and they, when they get in there, what they see is um, they see the linens kind of like they, 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 they wrap a body in linen. And they see those, those wrapping linens kind of thrown off the side. And there's a, there's a face shroud, that they would put, put over the head. And the, the linens are kind of thrown to the side and the face shroud, it's removed and it's folded nicely and like set off to the side. It's like what you do in the morning when, when you, th- you get out of bed, you kind of throw your blankets off of you. And then if like, if, it's like almost as if he's like, I got this thing on my face and like folds it up nicely and like sets it down. There's that detail. There's that amount of detail. Well, the arrangement of the linens, Okay. If I'm making a story up, if I'm making up ghost stories, I don't talk about linen arrangements, all right? So we've got linen arrangements. And they check it out. They don't know where the body's at. They, they eventually, you know, they look around as much as they need to and they leave. They go back home. They're going to try to figure it out. They're going to make a plan. I'm a planner. That's what I would have done. I would have gone home, would have found some friends. We're going like, to get a posse and go find the body or try to figure out what in the world's going on. Mary, she's not. Mary's a girl. She's not so interested in making the plans. This is a huge emotional time for her. This is the person that, she, that they believed in. So Mary stays out. She stays outside. She just kind of hangs out for a while. And she's just outside this tomb that she now knows is empty, and she's just bawling her eyes out. Just like that ugly sob, that like sniffle sob. Kleenex wasn't invented yet. Like it's gross, man. Like that kind of just heaving, just no hope kind of just like gut shaking. (laughs) Like that, that one, you know? She's outside weeping. She stays for a while, and eventually she glances back over into the tomb. She glances back in the tomb, and she doesn't see what she's been seeing. Now she sees two angels, like, sitting there chilling. They're like, sup? 
<laughs> you know, like sniffle a couple of times. Like, what are you guys? You know, like, I don't know what you say. And they, and they say the oddest thing to her. They say, why are you crying? <laughs> That's so sweet, right? That's how I imagine angels being. They're just so sweet. There's like girls crying. They're like, it's okay. It's, it, I'm so, oh, why are you crying? She's like, I don't, I don't, what? And when she turns around, there's somebody standing there. Oh, goodness, what are you doing? You're freaking me out here, right? There's like, you people ask me why I'm crying. There's like, this guy, what are you doing? And so there's this guy. She's still like trying to get over the ugly sob. And he says the same thing. Why are you crying? She's trying to answer. She's trying to get some words together, you know, get your composure, get your voice, quit doing that weird waver thing, right? He says, who are you looking for? And she thinks he's the gardener. That's what it says. John like, has the detail. So Mary, she's all like blurry out or whatever, and she thinks it's the gardener. I don't know if Jesus is like miraculously like veiling who he is or if she's just that messed up, okay? <laughs> There's like 2,000-year-old mascara in her eyes. I don't know what's going on. But one way or another, she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. She's like, hey, if you, if you took, did you take him? I bet you took him. If you took him, you tell me where he's at. I, don't, I wouldn't even be mad. I wouldn't even be mad. I wouldn't even be mad. Yeah, I'll just go get him. I, I mean, it's cool. Like, I wouldn't even tell the cops. You just, I just need to know. And he's like, he puts his hand, he's like, Mary. And it's Jesus. He's standing there with her hand on his Mary. And she just freaks the junk out. <laughs> I mean, like hopping up and down, like girl squeal, the whole night, like just what? Like just, just nuts, right? No, no, no. What? No. I mean, she's just going ballistic. He's like, hey, hey, chill out. Like, calm down, calm down. This is like, you read what he's saying to her. It's like, just, you know, hold what you got for a minute. It's okay. He's like, uh, I, don't, don't like cling to me. I got stuff I got to do, but, but go tell my boys. Go, go tell the guys. She's like, okay. And she takes off running, right? They're, they're like plowing a thing between wherever, you know, Peter and John are and where Mary's at. There's like a path developing. She takes off running at them. Takes off running up the hill. All right? So, and he's gone, by the way. So she takes off running. He's gone. So she gets up there. She's telling everybody about what's going on. So Peter and John, they find all the disciples, and they get themselves all together. And they're in this, they're in this one room with the door locked because they're a bunch of sissies, and they're still scared. Remember about this, nobody believes this stuff yet, and you came in the room, and you don't believe it yet. They're in the locked room. They don't believe it yet, and they're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Is she like schizo or something, or what is happening? Because I remember him saying something about, like, tearing this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up. Was that talking about him, or was that like a temple? Because he didn't tear down any temples unless there were sandcastles. So what is, what is happening? They're all in the room together. It's that night. It's Sunday night. And then he just appears among them. Anybody ever, ever appeared like, like today, I, I, there's somebody standing right here and the band was practicing. I came in that door and it was dark out there in the hall and I came in, I tapped him on the shoulder and they hold, had coffee in their hand. Like, whoa, right? Like I terrified this guy. Now he's not in here anymore, I don't think. But it, so I just tripped this guy out. Like I snuck up behind him. So there's the disciples, they're in this locked room. Nobody can get in or out. And all of a sudden, bing, what's up? I'm Jesus. He didn't say that. He's way cooler than that. Um, and so, so I can't imagine the pandemonium that breaks out in that room. 
And they just get to spend time with Jesus. And it, it's talking about, it's like show and tell time. You can read the account. It's show and tell. He's like, hey, check out. You want to you see the hole? You want to see the spot in my side where they're like, they got me with a spear. Like I was already dead. That was weird. Why'd they do that? It's like they're like checking out the damage. You know, like it's kind of like God's sharing scars. And they're spending time with Jesus again. And they believed. They believed because they'd seen him. But not everybody saw him. One guy wasn't there. Everybody, they found everybody, they had everybody in the room except this one guy. They could not find Thomas. Thomas wasn't there that night. And they came and told Thomas, and they said, Thomas, we've, we've seen him. We've seen him. And this is what he says. It's John chapter 20, verse uh, 24, 25. They go find Thomas. They say, we've seen the Lord. And this is what Thomas says. He says, unless I see into his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger inside the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe it. Unless I see the marks, unless I stick my finger in the mark and stick my hand in that hole in his side, I don't believe a thing you bunch of crazies are talking about. Maybe some of you came in this room with that kind of uh, wall up between you and Jesus. Unless, unless like God like writes my name in the sky or something, I will not believe it. The next verse says, eight days later, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. They're all together. And this time they've got Thomas. It's almost like Jesus is like, Okay. Okay. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again and said, Peace be with you. Chill out. Calm down. Peace be with you. He doesn't talk to anybody else. He walks straight up to Thomas. Straight, walks straight up to the one who says, I will not believe this. I do not believe this unless I see the hole. I'm not believing it. He walks right up to Thomas. He doesn't ask him any questions. He doesn't say, hi, how are you? He just holds out his hand. He says, put your finger here. Do it. Put your finger here. See, see my hand. Place it in my side. He like pulls his robe. He's like, put it in there, big boy. I will never believe it. Put it in there. Go and slip it in there. Grab a kidney. What? <laughs> it doesn't say Thomas touched him, but it does say that Thomas answered him by falling down in front of him and just crying out, my Lord and my God. Not my prophet, not my teacher, not my friend, my Lord and my God. That's a proclamation of faith. That's a proclamation of belief. That's, a, that's saying, I've, I'm trusting you with everything. I'm giving, Lord is like owner of my life. I'm giving you everything I am. I trust you. I believe you. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I trust you. In that moment, Thomas came to faith in Jesus Christ. Gave his life to Jesus right there in that room. The story doesn't stop there. 
And here's what these next couple of verses are the pivotal ones for you. These are the verses that mean the most to you because Jesus is standing in a room with a guy at his feet who's just given his life to him with holes in his hands and a hole in his side. He looks down at Thomas and he says, you believed because you've seen. That's why Thomas believed, right? Thomas believed because he actually saw the holes, saw Jesus standing there. You've believed because you've seen. And then Jesus' thoughts go to people like us. His thoughts come to people like you who will not have the opportunity to stick your finger in a hole in his hand. You won't have that chance. Thomas got out easy in that regard. Thomas got to see. You're not going to get to see it. This side of heaven. So Jesus' thoughts turn to you and he says this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. For those of us who are Christians in the room, that's us. We haven't seen. We didn't have the, the benefit of what Thomas had. We go on the authority of God's word. We go on the authority of the apostles who wrote down what they believed. And we trust that what they said is true, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and that Jesus lived again so that we could be forgiven. And then John kind of, kind of pulls out of the whole storytelling mode, and he just goes into narrator mode, and he says this. this these, these are like some most, the famous, famous verses in the book of John. This is the very next thing he says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. There's a, he's like, hey, there's a whole bunch of other stuff I could have told you. There's a whole bunch of other stuff I could have told you. I don't have space. Like, my hand's cramping up. I'm tired of writing. There's, like, there's a whole bunch of other things. And this is the key verse. But these things... These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's like, I've, I've written this account with as much detail as possible for the very purpose that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And then by believing, you can have eternal life in his name. That's why this is here. This isn't here to be fun. This isn't here to be a story. I've written this down so that you will come to the point that you'll believe what I believe, that Jesus is the Christ. And then when you believe, you'll have eternal life because of the faith you've placed in Jesus. John wrote the book so that you'd believe that you could be saved by it. That's the gospel. That's what we trust in. That Jesus came here for us. That God loved us enough that he sent his son here for the purpose of dying on that cross in our place. And that by coming back from the grave, he proved that he was more than just a guy. The guys he's been spending years with didn't believe it either until he came back. And once you see a dead guy walking, you don't really argue with the facts and figures anymore. When they saw what they saw, they believed. As you keep reading uh, in the accounts of the, the, the rest of John and then over into Acts, you see these bunch of sissies that kept running and hiding that weekend. You see those people proclaiming boldly that Jesus is the Christ. They're not afraid of people anymore. They're not hiding anymore. There's no more locked doors. And they go out and they're telling everybody they can find that Jesus is the Son of God, that in his name you can find forgiveness. You can be saved. Almost every one, all of them but one guy was murdered for their faith. 
They went willingly to their own deaths, trying to proclaim his death and life. The other guy got exiled on an island. You don't see them scared anymore. And for me, the only thing that could change that in them was faith in Jesus, having seen a dead man walk. So tonight, as our band comes up, man, as, as, as tonight, as, uh, as you've heard that story, if you came in here tonight um, with that wall up like Thomas, like unless God does something huge, unless God answers whatever prayer I want him to answer, if less, if, unless God rolls over and does a trick for me, I will not believe. If you came in like that, I want you to know God understands that kind of doubt. If you came in distant, having wondering if you're kind of getting punked here, if this is all one big joke, I want you to know that the disciples thought the same thing until they came face to face with Jesus. They put their faith in him. You can't put your faith, you can't deny them standing there in front of you, but you don't get, you don't get that benefit. I mean, I guess he could, but he, he's, I'm, I don't think he's going to appear in the room and like show you his hand. But what I can tell you is this, by the account of, by the account of what disciples lived, what they said and how their lives changed because of the gospel, I believe it to be true. And having believed that it's true, having placed my faith in Jesus, man, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. Because of what God's done in my life, because of my story, the way that he's moved, the way he's active in me, like I, I know it to be true. Maybe tonight for some of you, you came in like Thomas. And God's done something in you. Maybe God's doing something in you right now and he's calling you to do exactly what Thomas did, to fall down before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and give your life to him, to invite him to forgive you, to invite him to make you whole again, to wipe away all that sin. See, Jesus dying on that cross, that was a gift for you. That gift's been made available to you your entire life. That gift was offered 2,000 years ago. That gift's been waiting on you to open it your whole life. When you, take that, when you take hold of that gift, you're saved. You're forgiven. You're made new again. But you've got to take it. Just because the gift's been offered to you doesn't mean it's yours yet. So tonight, will tonight be the night that you, you accept the gift? That you allow the walls to be broken down and you give Jesus your life? Tonight can be that night for you. So our band's going to play. They're going to play my favorite song. Um, it's called Death in His Grave. It talks about the fact that Jesus laid death itself in its grave on the cross that night. If tonight's the night that you want to give your heart and life to Jesus, um, me and some adults will be in the back. What I want you to do is I just want you to walk back there and say, hey, I need to talk. We'll go from there. We'll go out back and we'll just kind of sit and we'll have a conversation about Jesus and how you can give your life to him. That's what we're there for. So we'll be in the back waiting on you. But for the rest of us, we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate the fact that we have been forgiven. We get to celebrate the fact that God came for us, that even when we were unworthy, even when we didn't have anything good in us to, to earn it, that he came anyway, that he came despite our brokenness, this came despite our sin and died willingly in our place. And we're forgiven. That's what we're about celebrating this week is that we've been forgiven in the name of Jesus because of his blood on the cross. I'm so, I'm, even this week, man, in my failures, I've been reminded of how lost, how, how utterly 
wretched I am apart from Jesus. And so I want to get to celebrate with you the fact that Jesus has made me clean, that he's laid death in his grave. Stay with me.